a time to pad this spot. I realign to stay on top. I've been away. Time goes. Hello and welcome to the One More Mile podcast. Today is Monday, November 5th, 2018, and I'm your host, Chris Harnish. Joining me today, as always, is my New York City insider and co-host, Hanok Getz. Hanok, how you doing? Good, good. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. And uh, also joining us, us on the podcast today uh, is a very special guest. And I know Hanok has done a lot of work, uh, particularly with our guest today and just trying to bring her on to the show, and I'm really excited to actually be talking uh, again about not only women cycling, but uh, track cycling, all right? And so with that, Henock, uh, who do we have on today? So today we have on uh, Kim Geis. She is a world-class uh, track racer, current um, world champion in the team pursuit, and also uh, world champion in 2017, so two-time Gold medalist in the team pursuit on the uh, well, obviously on the track, also multiple medals at uh, the Pan Am Games and national champions and things like that. Uh, but I think you know talking to a current world champion is, is is a pretty special opportunity that we don't have often, and we're really uh, happy that Kim has agreed to come on and on the show and chat with us. Kim's also a um, a cycling coach herself and coaches a lot of successful athletes both in track and road and i believe also uh, cyclocross so uh we hope you enjoy our our conversation with her today hey kim how you doing i am doing well thanks cool well you know i know that 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 just from a you know brief bio of your background you got started uh in cycling very early um can you tell us a little bit about just how you got your start into cycling and, and uh, you know, how you kind of progressed, especially through the junior ranks? Because uh, I actually came up through the junior ranks, and I'm always interested to hear different people's kind of perspective of junior racing and maybe uh, the, the juniors that they raced against and perhaps the juniors that uh, were better than them um, but, but no longer race. So I'd love to hear kind of how you got your start sure uh, i actually started when i was nine years old um my my family did not have any cyclists in it um we had no idea that there was really a, a world-class facility for cycling um, about 15 20 minutes from our our home uh, but my mom was a nursery school teacher and one of her past students, we just randomly ran into one day uh, shopping. And they started telling my mom and I about these cycling classes that uh, their daughter had taken. And they were free developmental uh, classes during the summer, uh, easy, easily accessible. And I had liked riding my bike around the neighborhood. And we decided to, to sign up and, and try it out that summer. And... Got there that summer, and I can't say I was particularly great at it. Um, I remember crashing into uh, the wall or the fence there quite a few times when I couldn't get my feet out of the pedals. Um, but it was a challenge to me, and I, I liked it eventually and um, just kept going from that point. Uh, so my junior career spanned the entire time that you can race a junior um, in the United States, so... From nine years old, I entered my first national championships at 10 when the national championships came to my home track, which was the um, Lehigh Valley Velodrome, which is now called the Valley Preferred Cycling Center in Pennsylvania. And I won a bronze medal that first year, and I thought this was outstanding, and this was something I could potentially be really good at. I always sort of wanted to to try and be the best at something. Um, so that first medal really spawned interest in continuing the sport. So I quit the other things I was doing. I was playing soccer and basketball, but um, really focused early on um, on cycling. So went through uh, the junior years with focus on the junior national championships. As a junior, that's really the one race that 
everyone can come together and can and uh, can compete among one another. Uh, otherwise, you're looking at category races at, at your local velodrome or, or on the road. I raced on the road um, throughout all my junior years as well. Um, when I got a bit older, the focus turned to the junior world championships, and I was having the most success on the track, so we decided to, to look to uh, the individual pursuit, and I ended up winning two bronze medals in the individual pursuit, raced the road junior world championships, was a fourth place finisher in the road race, and obviously wanted to continue on from there after juniors was uh, definitely a priority for me. All right. So I was curious. You said you had you had uh, success. You were fourth in, in junior world on the road, as well as obviously you know a lot of success on the track. But at what point did you make the decision to kind of uh, drop road? Or I don't know. I don't know if you ever dropped local Chris, but I mean to kind of really you know drop pursuing a professional career on the road and and focus full time on uh, you know being a world you know professional or a, you know world class uh, track cyclist. Did you have to choose, or was is it kind of too too time consuming to do both, or was it just a personal choice? Or can you shed a little bit, a little bit of light on that? Sure, um, it came down to a personal choice. So once I graduated from the junior ranks, I was actually well, I shouldn't say after I graduated from the junior ranks. My last year as a junior, I was technically signed on to a professional road team. Um, I couldn't sign the contract, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to, to start junior worlds that year. Um, but in name, I was I was on the team. Uh, so that fourth place, even though it's not you know as um, high up as the medal on the track, um, it was viewed upon as being an even more promising result. You know, the, the competition could be viewed as being a bit stronger on the road. Um, so teams started to express interest. And uh, my last year as a junior, I raced quite a few um, national level races with that team. Um, my first year after a junior, I stayed with that team. And when I turned 21, I signed with Team Lipton, which was, I think, the premier uh, women's road team um, at that time. So at that point, I was actually in college full time, but um, once that let out in May, uh, for the rest of the season, I was traveling throughout summer um, with that team and, and racing road. Uh, what I really liked about the track, actually, is that you don't race that often. So the focus is more so on the daily training and pinpointing maybe one or two races within a season uh, that you're trying to peak for and, and do really well at. And what I found on the road was I was racing every weekend, and that was really the training that, that kept me going. And I didn't enjoy that process as much. And then at the end of uh, the summer with Team Lipton, I was involved in an accident with a tractor trailer. Um, and it was a pretty devastating accident. And I just decided that I enjoyed the track much, much better. Um, even the risk factor all considered was lower and I was willing to stop racing the road and and do the track program full time and we were coming up to the 2008 Olympic Games at that point and once I had gone through my recovery um, I had just gone through the juniors and, and earned those medals at the junior world championship in the individual pursuit at that time the individual pursuit was an Olympic event and it it just made sense to, to try and hunker down and, and try for that. Cool. So going back a little bit here, uh, because I know that you went to college and you finished college, um, I'm really interested to kind of get your per perspective on balancing the college education with elite athletics and, and uh, you know, having – Having gone to college, having uh, raced and, and raced through college, raced through graduate school, I often find that uh, Division three athletes in particular, because I'm, I've been at two Division three schools, they really struggle to kind of find that, that, that school and athletic balance. 
Um, and and I, I find it a little bit frustrating because as a cyclist, we often don't get the same kind of uh, perks that that you know a school sponsored athlete would get even at that level uh what what was your experience with being an athlete in in being in school and balancing those uh and and just making a success out of both of them so for me school was always number one priority so i never went to a race over going to a class or i never went out on a training ride instead of studying and those things always came first. Um, I was also a commuter, so I, I was still living at home. So I think that helped separate things as well. So maybe I didn't have the normal college experience as, as most kids do. Um, but absolutely focused on the, the education while I was there. And they really didn't have any issue separating things out. You know, once the, the schoolwork was done for the day, then it was that of mindset and 100% devoted to whatever I was doing on the bike or the gym or whatever the training was for the day. So then what is your feeling about racers? And, and I know I don't want to get into like a judgmental thing, but what is your feeling on racers, you know, foregoing college altogether and just jumping headfirst into full-time racing at the age of 18, 19? Yeah. Um, I can only speak from my perspective. So, you know, one who was looking to most likely concentrate on the track, um, I knew I needed to be fully prepared for life after cycling. First of all, things can go wrong just like that and completely unexpected. And cycling is not part of your life anymore. Um, and the other case is at, at some point you won't be wanting to ride anymore. And if you are getting some sort of sponsorship or, or stipend or something along those lines, that will be gone immediately. There's no benefits that, that come after. Uh, no retirement for a There is not. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so to me, I just needed to be prepared um, to, to move right into something that I could support myself on and that I could enjoy just as much riding bike as well to kind of touch on that topic i know obviously you're you're um you know you um most of your income if not you know at least primarily your 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 main source of income is your your cycling coach as well or i shouldn't say as well but i mean you're a cycling coach and that obviously ties in with your uh with your um degrees was that when you were like you know deciding to go to college and you were like 17 18 19 was that kind of what your your career path was even back then like to to become a you know, if your pro career on cycling doesn't take off to be uh, a cycling coach, kind of, was that your, or just to be involved in fitness or what was, what were your thinking? What was your thinking back then? Um, a little bit more of a general approach. Uh, so I didn't necessarily know that I would be as heavily involved in cycling as I am right now. Uh, but I've always enjoyed um, fitness goals and, and helping people towards those um, with, you know, the experience that I have, but also, the, the education and the knowledge of the whys that we do things. Um, so that might have been at that time, I would think you know, maybe I would be a, a strength and conditioning coach at the Olympic Training Center, or there were other opportunities that I could have um, pursued, just not cycling coach. So then it kind of like once you, um, I guess once you started being successful as a racer, it kind of, uh, kind of grew hand in hand, like you have some name recognition and Kind of people value, start to value your opinion. Is that kind of did it organically just grow like that? Um, it's actually a, a little bit of a funny story. So, uh, <laughs> they like funny stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just sort of fell into um, my own business. Uh, I never planned on putting my own name on it. Um, nothing along those lines, really. Uh, so I graduated college. Or I was about to graduate college. Um, and I knew I wanted to provide as much as I possibly could and you know, try and be the best, um, which would take a lot of time commitment and, um, you know, I'd have to support it some way. So I was, I think the easiest path I can go in right now, I can do things remotely, um, while I'm traveling. Um, but I really couldn't find any, you know, um, umbrella sort of 
coaching business that um, I liked or that um, aligned with sort of my vision. So I thought, well, I'm just going to start advertising at the collegiate races that I'm going to. We had a small collegiate team at my school. Um, I'm going to hand out flyers and, and see what happens. And I had a rider lined up before I even graduated. And we started. And really, it just kept growing from there. I don't think it was really a name recognition thing, per se. I just I started doing a fairly good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and work spread that way. That's uh, awesome. And, and naming the business as well, like, I had QuickBooks on my computer to, to help me track the money that I was starting to bring in. Uh, and they needed, called them up for some reason, I don't remember what it was. But they needed a business name. It's like, well, my, my name's Kim Geis, and I, I coach cyclists and strength and conditioning athletes. Well, that wasn't good enough. Like, okay, um, I have a website, KimGeis.com. Coach, that. <laughs> Very <laughs> original. Very original. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks Eventually, for the books, I dropped, right? yeah. <laughs> dropped the website name, and that that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So things just just grew from there and. Eventually, it became a viable option, and I really enjoy it, and that was that. So, yeah, awesome. So, I, I want to actually uh, follow up on that, because I think that, you know, most people think of, um, like, an elite, you know, an Olympic hopeful or, or a professional, professional athlete, not even necessarily a professional cyclist, but a professional athlete um, in any sport, and even, even a professional cyclist, uh, you know, on the road, um, I think most people think that the, the sport provides them, you know, the income and the time to train and devote their life full time, uh, you know, to, to, to pursuing this, you know, to being good at the sport, to being a professional athlete. But um, from what I understand from, you know, our previous kind of little conversations and with track cycling in the U.S., unlike perhaps in Great Britain or New Zealand or other some of the other powerhouses, um, you pretty much don't really get paid. So you are a full-time businesswoman and also a full-time professional athlete um, working towards, you know, the Olympics in 2020. So how how challenging is that, uh, you know, for you, and how do you manage that? I'm sure that a lot of people that – a lot of our listeners that, you know, are, are amateur athletes uh, would, would love to hear a little bit about how someone at the, at the top of the world um, still has to balance, you know, making a living and being a, a full-time athlete and training and – and, and things like that, and, and the balance and the, that goes into that. Sure. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. Um, so in our country, um, for track cycling specifically, there's there's no salary, really. There's no professional teams um, that will support you. And um, sort of from the top down, there's also not much support. So our national governing body um, can help um, sort of in kind. So Sometimes, you know, travel expenses, getting to races and support when you're already there. But the day-to-day, there's not really anything trickling down until you've actually made it. So in that long process of you know, trying to earn a world championship um, podium, it falls on the individual athletes. So as far as balance for me goes, um, time management skills are on point. <laughs> And social life is very low. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I, boy, I thought that was. That's a, you stay out party till three o'clock, yeah. three o'clock in the morning every Friday and Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it pretty much comes down to waking up, doing something uh, with the business while I'm eating breakfast, continuing on, you know, eating lunch, getting out to train, coming back, checking on what happened. And, business-wise while I was out there for two or three hours and continuing on for the rest of the day, sleep and do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. do you find, or at least in your opinion, that you work better uh, and more efficiently when you are um, training, you know, specifically like, uh, okay, you, you know, I've got to get ready for this race and you, you know, you've got your goals and you set aside your training time. Do you find that you're more regimented and efficient with your time then or kind of like when you've got a break? 
I would say I'm absolutely more efficient um, when things are, are really rolling. So I like to be busy, absolutely. Um, but also knowing there is an end goal to this in, in terms of the cycling um, definitely helps push through the days. So knowing that I need to accomplish X, Y, and Z in the day and it's going to get done is not really an option for it not to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good point because one of the times a year that I struggle probably the most is August, September, uh, and, and October. And so seasons wound down and school's kind of ramping up and, and I'm in this middle zone where, uh, you know, I'm kind of on a break, but I really want to train, but I feel really busy. And so I'm getting stuff done, but it, it creates like this chaos and where, where I seem to be most efficient is like March and April when it's like everything's kind of coalescing into, you know, some good fitness and all this other stuff. Um, but my life is very regimented and, and I, I, the reason why I bring this up is kind of, it gets back to, uh, you know, whether or not you're an athlete who has a job or whether or not you're a college athlete, I really find that, um, athletes need to find that, that balance, but that they also need to almost stay busy so that they can stay focused. And it, it mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of athletes, I, I find that that's very effective. It's just trying to convince them that that's the way they kind of should do things instead of, you know, kind of the way that, you know, most college kids, uh, you know, function these days. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. And, and I think that, you know, from your, from your side of it, again, you're trying to make a living and you're trying to, you know, carve out the cycling career. And, and the best way to get that done is to just be on focus with both of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it's great when I have sort of a distraction from the riding. So in the bubble of, of sport, it takes my mind away from what I'm looking towards and what I'm trying to accomplish. If I were just sitting around for, three quarters of the day waiting to go train, I would probably be so mentally fatigued about with the anticipation of, of training um, and competing that I think my performance would be lower than me staying busy during the day, taking my mind off of that um, and then resetting and focusing my energy towards my own cycling. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, so you are part of the, the USA cycling track program. And I know that there's been a lot of, uh, media hype around kind of revamping that program and revamping, uh, support for athletes. But (laughs) there's also been a lot of media about kind of the disruption now. And with Derek leaving, uh, his position who, uh, you, you know, and he's done a great job. What, like, how do you feel the program has performed thus far? And, and, and where do you feel the program is going to head now into this kind of this, this, this flux of, uh, you know, not knowing who the leadership is and, and kind of a shifting of a lot of the positions at USA Cycling? Um, I, I think we've been on generally an upward trajectory within track cycling. I think there's been a bit of a renewed focus. Um, and part of that, I think, comes from the success we've had before that shift happened. So we had the women's team pursuit team doing very, very well um, before all the, the sport came along. And I think people got excited about that and um, decided that this was something that we can pursue and and try and build into the other events within track cycling, um, especially on the female side, but also now um, male riders as well. Um, I think when Derek came in, that was uh, very good for track cycling, given he has a background um, on the track. And he was overall, I think, supportive um, of our discipline. Um, so moving forward, I think, it might just boil down to our success on the track. You know, if we continue to perform well um, and have you know, some really outstanding riders um, who are involved in the program right now continue on and, and do exciting things, I think the support should naturally follow that. 
just as it did before things really got started for the program. Yeah. And I have to say, I've been, I haven't raced uh, in, in about 10 years, but I started back in 1990, 91. Um, and from my experience, USA Cycling has, has been successful almost in spite of itself. Um, and and we, we've had good years and bad years, but we, we've, you know, we certainly, I think our, there's a reason why U.S. athletes are, uh, you know, at least kind of ebb and flow consistently good is because we we have athletes who you, you know they're willing to make that sacrifice despite the lack of you know funding they have talent um but i think it's one of the sports in the u.s where it, you, you know riders work really hard and they're willing to live like you know poor athletes you know for many years um and and to try to make it to the top and i think that 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 type of character really shows through in the performances that we've been able to 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 have over the years right absolutely and one of the things that i will sometimes share with riders who contact me for um coaching and, and looking to make the most of themselves as acts like this is that nobody's here to hold your hand in the process and nobody's going to roll out the red carpet. There's no straight trajectory to the top. The path is unclear. You really need to love what you're doing and you need to make your own path for what you want to achieve. So along the lines of, um, you know, funding is sponsorship. And I think that there's a misconception, uh, that, uh, Pro athletes or very high-level athletes kind of just get, uh, you know, this dump truck that shows up at the beginning of the season and just kind of dumps out all this equipment. What what does your sponsorship look like? What what kind of, uh, uh, you know, cool uh, gifts and gadgets do you get, or, you know, maybe don't get? I don't get a whole lot. <laughs> um, it, it's mostly self-supported, um, and it is sort of. Finding, again, your own path um, and your own way to acquire what you need, really. Um, so I, I ride for uh, a local team, actually. Um, we have mostly um, local riders who just compete regionally. And then there are two of us on the team um, who race at the international level. And, you know, we'll receive things like kits, um, you know, discounts on, on products and things like that. But beyond that, um, it, it's really up to me to, to fund purchases, um, fund equipment and, and minor trips. Interesting. So like, uh, so I know you just got back from the world cup and obviously now the, that going to different world cups involves a lot of traveling does, uh, I'm just curious. You don't have to answer these kind of questions if they're too, you know, if you don't want to. But does USA Cycling pick up like the tab on, on, on uh, you know, those things, like getting to, getting to the World Cups and being at the World Cups and and different things like that, or is that all, is that also part of your own, you know, come out of your own either sponsorship or your own pocket or, or things like that? All right. So for those large international trips, um, they're generally. Uh, taken care of or partially funded. Um, they're large, the decision is largely made on the results that you've already achieved, um, which is a tough system, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, to work up, um, from the bottom. Uh, so if you've had good results, um, the previous year or during that season, uh, those trips can be fully funded. Um, if, if results were mediocre, um, might be partially funded. Um, so for someone like myself, who's current world champion, uh, those trips at this point in time are taken care of. Um, so it, it's, it's really results-based. Right, right, interesting. So I guess I want to follow that up. I, so I know your, your, your big goal, I think, is, um, is uh, qualifying and, and hopefully meddling at uh, in Tokyo in 2020, which is about a, about a year and a half away or so, roughly. Um, uh, how, like, are you, um, I mean, I'm not sure, obviously that, that, you know, Olympic, especially for a track cyclist is probably, you know, 
kind of like the the Tour de France for for road cyclists or something like that. Um, but it's only once every four years instead of, instead of once every year. But are you kind of is your training already at the moment kind of geared towards? Well, I guess hot or I guess I should back. Do you have to qualify? Then you have to obviously be in shape for that. But you know how how what's the what's kind of the road? What's the roadmap for you to get to uh, to the Olympics and hopefully medal there? There is a qualification process, and that lasts almost a full two years. So, so we're in that we're in that right now, I guess, right? We are right. Um, so the first qualification event for our region um, would be the Continental Championships, which were Pan Am Championships held in Mexico. Uh, those are in August, and then we go through two international seasons. So that includes. Uh, World Cups, which I believe are a dozen in the two years, six each um, season, and two World Championships, and then the Continental Championships next season. So you don't necessarily have to race every single event. Um, it's your best three results from the World Cups, your World Championship results, and your Continental Championship results that all add to a points total. And you're looking how that points total uh, stacks up with other countries who have competed. So there's that process uh, on the international level, and then there will also be a process uh, within the United States to, um, will ultimately represent the United States in the Olympics. So you're, so you're a long process. <laughs> right. So you, it sounds pretty mentally draining. I'd be, I mean, physically, obviously, but even mentally, yeah. Um, so your, your, your events, your specialties are the, uh, team pursuit and the Madison. Is that, is that? Correct. Or, That's I, what I've been racing for this Olympic quad. Is the Madison an Olympic event? It is. Oh, yeah. It, oh, it, wow. it used to be, it was removed and, and now it's reinstated. And this will be the first Olympics that the women will compete in the Madison. The first um, ever? First ever. Oh, that's wow. exciting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. They just introduced the Madison for women two years ago. So for this quad is the first time that we've been competing. Wow. Yeah, so, I, I, I love the Madison and um, I uh, it's totally not related. But uh, when I got my start as a speed skater, a, a roller speed skater, um, to really, really date me here, but um, we did relays, and so they're not not quite the same. Uh, I think the short track relays are in in the Olympics are a little bit more like the Madison, but but mm -hmm. it was the same thing. Like we would kind of be in the middle of the track, and we would come out, and then we would get a push, and then we'd get in there and we'd do the relays. Uh, I always loved the Madison. I just um, it is. It is like one of the most exciting events. I would imagine probably pretty hard to follow if if you're not familiar with cycling because there's so much action going on, paying attention. But it, I mean, there's so much action going on, so it's always yeah. exciting to watch. So I always love the Madison. The Madison is even if you don't know, it's a lot of excitement. Even if you don't know what's going on, sometimes you don't know who's in first and who's in last. But there's all these people flying around. It's pretty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean. I know that doesn't, that's not what you want to hear, but. <laughs> it's very chaotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so does, does your, is your training any different now trying, you know, leading up to the Olympics that would have been, you know, three or four years ago, or is it kind of the same? You still need to be on top of your game and, and get results and hopefully the chips just fall in place or, or can you expound on that a little bit? Um, I'd say it's similar as, as the cycles go. Um, you do need to sort of take each season at a time because you have all those qualifying events. Right. So it's not this big, luxurious, you know, training build and, and peak. And, right. Peak um, for July 2020 or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, like most riders are, are probably used to, you have the end season where you need to be on the top of your game to perform well and gain as much, as many points as you can. Um, a, a, honestly, a very small, window of opportunity for an off season um, because even in the summer uh, you're still looking at doing some racing to qualify points to start those larger events that then earn you the points towards the olympics oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. um 
but that that period in the summer is lower key. Um, the real build for us, the international season, is in the winter time. Okay, so uh, I, how long does your 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 race season go? And 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 really, what kind of break do you have in between? Because it seems like. I, and I don't follow track cycling that that closely, but it seems like it's like oh, there's like some major race, and then oh, you're about anything, and it's like oh, there's some major race again, like four months later or something. So, so how's that how, uh, that season work out for you guys? Mm-hmm. So the international season, the major events, we'll start with those continental championships, which for us in the Americas um, are August September time, and then World Cups will start in the fall run about one to two a month um, with a break for Christmas, basically, um, all the way through the end of February, beginning of March with the World Championships. Um, and that's sort of the official end of the season. Um, so if we have a break, for me, it usually lasts March, April, and then start rolling again with some small events in May. Oh. Um, yeah, and those small events then obviously go back. Um, through the summer until we get to come now championships again. So those small events, you're kind of building your forum? Just to- right. Those are more so uh, geared towards training events. Um, but like I said, you do earn um, points with the UCI that then qualify you to start the kind of middle championships and the World oh, Cup, the World Championships. So they're still important. So you still have to be right. You still have to be on your game. It's not like you can just be like, oh, it's just a little, uh, a little track meet. I'm just going to go out and you know test my forum. You still kind of need to be in, in shape I mean, because you need right. to earn, earn the qualifying points. Interesting. Okay. So that's a lot right. of long season, actually. Really long. Right. The the break doesn't feel like all that much, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a rolling season sometimes. That's what it feels like. And then at, at like a, so a World Cup is what? Is, is it a, um, a week long or how many, how many days is, is, is a average World Cup? Uh, it's usually two or three days. Oh, it's a, okay. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes there can be qualifying, um, and that will stretch out to four days, but it's fairly short. Short, but intense. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So what Morning happens? sessions, evening sessions. Um, it runs pretty much throughout the day for those days. So how do you, uh, I was curious about this, something I was thinking about, you know, how, how, what, I'm, you know, it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a, you race multiple times each day, and then you're racing, you know, whatever three, four, you know, three, four days in a row. How do you uh, recover, like throughout the day and and over the course of you know the weekend or whatever it is? Like, uh, seems like it'll be really, you know, kind of kind of difficult to to keep your legs going all, you know. For how, how do you uh, how do you kind of keep recovering all day long and you know throughout the next day? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the days are definitely fatiguing, uh, even though it's shorter efforts than what most cyclists would be doing at home. Uh, the intensity is about as high as it can possibly get. Um, so throughout the day or in between days, you know, a little bit of recovery, riding, passive rest, massage. Um, when we're at the larger races, we'll usually be traveling with um, soigneurs. We can provide that, which is very nice. Uh, compression boots, you know, watching your nutrition. Sleep can be difficult sometimes. Um, the evening sessions tend to run late, so you could be racing as late as, say, 9 o'clock, and then you might have doping control after that, and you're back at the hotel at 11, all amped up from racing and trying to get to sleep for what you might have the next morning. Um, so all those things compounded together. Um Keep you running, but by the end of the two, three, four days, uh, you tend to have some built-up fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> so I've um, I've got a question that is is related to this because uh, you've been racing a long time. How has your training changed, or has it ha- has it changed? And I'd say just in say the last decade, because mm-hmm. there's. There have been, uh, you know, at least on my end of the field, and with research and 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 all the stuff that comes out. Uh, have you seen or have you Im- implemented 
anything that, you know, if it were 10 years ago, you'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I never do that again. Or, yeah, I always used to do that. And, and, and now we don't do it so much or anything like mm-hmm. that. What's your training? How has that changed? I would say overall, it's a lot more detail oriented. So it's not so just what you're doing on the bike. It's what you're doing off of it as well. Um, so your nutrition and your recovery and your sleep, um, dialing those in just as much as what you're doing on the bike. Uh, on the bike, I would say the biggest change is quality over quantity. So, you know, one or two Olympic cycles ago, you might be doing a lot of endurance riding throughout the year. Um, that would be one major change that I would point out. And that's been cut back quite a bit. Um, training's a, a lot more specific to the race events that we're doing. So we're looking at power output cadences, um, trying to replicate those more in training than we were previously. Interesting. So, so you're a coach, um, and and one of the things that that I always like to get students to think about because uh, I used to actually do a coaching class, and I've been a coach for a long time. Can you summarize may, maybe in a sentence or two, kind of your what is your coaching philosophy or what is Kim Guy's coaching? Sure. Uh, I like to say that it's really about the individual. So I like to take the time and learn what works and what doesn't for that person. We can always start out with generalizations and then I can get somebody rolling towards their goals, but you know, it, it really comes down to detail oriented things as to what works for that specific person. So that can be the workout details in themselves or something that you need to address in their daily life, their schedule. Um, it just makes things quick. You know, there's, there's no cookie cutter mold with me. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I know that you had mentioned, uh, that you were in a serious accident in, uh, was it 2007 or was it 2008? 2007. Okay. So 2007, uh, what, um, what, what tips or, or, or any type of uh, advice do you have to give somebody who's overcoming an injury, uh, you know, particularly a serious a- injury, because it, there there's so many as- aspects to it, but the psychological, trying to really keep yourself on task and say like, okay, well, I've got to do X, Y, Z. What's your tip for getting past mm-hmm. an injury? Uh, I think one big thing is realizing that whatever your holdup is on it right now. So like for me, I was was just out on a regular training ride um, and somebody made a poor decision. Um, You know, so so my holdup might be that I can do everything right, but somebody can do something completely wrong and that's out of my control. Um, So, you know, sometimes it can be fearful for me to get in situations that are out of my control. Um, But just realizing um, that, that's something that's difficult for you and it won't really ever leave your consciousness. You just need to learn how to management, uh, manage it. Um, so not, you don't need to necessarily get upset that you think that way. Um, it's much more beneficial to, to recognize that that will always be with you. There will always be a fear. Um, but you need to find some way to, to cope with it. Essentially. Yeah, and and I I've um you know probably in the last year I've been doing a lot of reading on leadership as well as communication and uh you know I think that 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 goes hand in hand with that philosophy we we've really got to think about what what are the factors that we can control um and mm-hmm. and for from an athletic standpoint there there are many factors we can control but I think that if an athlete has anxiety or if an athlete is just just having difficulty with their team or you know whatever it is we have to really focus on what we can control and you do as much as you can with what you can control and and as frustrating as that gets uh that's all you can do 
and if 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 you can at least focus on that you can usually stay on track but but it's 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 really about just doing what you can control and and um i think that's just super important when you're just trying to succeed and and you just don't want to fail you know and it's it's hard right i agree yeah i mean it's also like I mean, it's interesting that, you know, you're, you're talking about the mental aspect of it and more from coming back from a serious, um, you know, recovering and getting back into on your bike and then competing, coming back from a bad accident. But uh, just the mental aspect of the sport in general, I think, um, uh, is, is something that a lot of people fail to, to kind of take seriously. Everyone's like, you know, staring at the power meter. They know exactly, you know, what, you know, what they have to, I have to train this many seconds and, and, you know, in this zone and how many kilojoules did I burn and stuff like that, you know, but, but they don't give a second thought to, you know, the mental aspect, you know, in visualizing success or, or, or failure or, or, you know, how important that, that role plays in, you know, winning races or, or getting on the podium and, and things like that. I mean, do you, do you kind of, do you find that with, with your athletes or just people in general or do you, you, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? And I'm just kind of rambling, but, but. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think um, sometimes people have sort of a glamorous view of what sport is. You know, you work really hard and you win the gold medal. You know, <laughs> but a lot of times it awesome. doesn't work out that way. <laughs> you know, sometimes your your good isn't good enough, or there are instances that. It, Things are out of your control. You know, maybe you didn't make uh, a selection um, based on somebody's subjective opinion, um, and that can get tough. Absolutely. Um, but like I said, I think easing things um, by concentrating on, on what you can actually uh, control absolutely uh, helps. So, at the end of the day, if things didn't go right at least you have confidence that you've done everything that you possibly could and this end result isn't um life ending no you you've prepared and this is um just what's occurred that's it yeah right so uh you know, kind of thinking back to your start in cycling because you you started at such a young age, and and I I really feel like in the last four or five years we we've seen just a, a perhaps not a numbers growth but a success growth of women's cycling. Uh, what advice can you give girls or women? You know collegiate women, young girls, what advice can you give them uh, if they are getting into the sport and they, they want to succeed, they want to do well? What, what are some of, you know, maybe your top two or three tips that, that, that they should be thinking about? Sure. Um, I think uh, keeping your head up and, and blocking out some of the negativity um, can help. Like you said, I think we've gotten – much more open-minded uh, in the last several years. You know, we have more equal prize money and better equal opportunities. And, you know, within track cycling, we have some equal race distances and, and things like that. Um, but there's still a lot of people out there who will just say, this is a new place and you can't and you won't do it. Um, you know, keep your goals in mind. Uh, block out all those people who are, who are saying that you, you can't or you won't, um, or even use that as motivation. That's certainly yeah. something that's motivated me. Um, you know, just stay the course. If you love it, it will be worth it in the end, by far. Very good. Um, just one more question. I think, uh, you know, let you go, but I knew you had mentioned that you, um, Kind of your, your, well, we, we mentioned that, you know, we talked about your, you know, working on making the Olympics. And is that, is that kind of your, 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 that was going to be your end as far as your, uh, professional cycling career? Like if, if uh, you're retiring after the, uh, after the Olympics? Uh, that's the plan. Yeah, never <laughs> say never. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought I was going to be done racing at one point before and I very strongly felt that way, but here we are. Uh, but yeah, yeah. And at this point, I 
think I've accomplished everything that I've ever set out to do, um, minus the Olympic start. But if it doesn't happen this time, there are other things in life that I wish to, to accomplish at this point. Um, so, yeah, that, that should be my last event. Well, awesome. Kim Geist, I uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Where can people learn more about you or the coaching that you do? Sure. Um, so I have a very, very basic um, personal website, so kimgeist.com. Um, my coaching website is kimgeistcoaching.com. Simple enough, uh, which is always good when it comes to web addresses. Uh, but again, Kim Geist, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And uh, please, uh, please stay in touch. We'll we'll have you back on, especially after the Olympics, uh, for sure. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great talk to you. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time. Hey, folks, that wraps up another One More Mile podcast. If you like the podcast, though, please support us by writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your portal of choice. Those reviews help improve our ranking and help us gain funding for the show. And on that funding note, you can head on over to www.go1mm.com. That's go1mm.com. There you can donate $5, $10, a million dollars, whatever you want. Every donation and email we receive gets entered into our monthly Rudy Project drawing. There aren't that many left this year. And finally, if you want to contact us and let us know what you think, if you have questions or comments about training, head on over to your email account and go one more mile at gmail.com. That's go one more mile at gmail.com. Remember, folks, always go one more mile. Later.